0: Stop a second, and uh, before we get and jump right into the message, I, I just want to stop and consider what we're here for. I mean, obviously, you show up and you're expecting something. Uh, you're you're hoping to be served in some way. Um, but I would challenge you to consider how you might be serving and, and and giving back. Every one of us are gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something to to, to feed in in some way. And, and as we talk today about the Holy Spirit and how He works in our lives, I would con- I would I would challenge you to consider what you're doing and how He's using you and working through your life. Um, whether whether you're an evangelistic type person, uh, whether you're uh, someone who uh, is is asking friends to come to the church, whatever whatever it is. Trust that the Holy Spirit will work in those things. Um, if you're here uh, helping set up on Sunday mornings or, 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 or opening up your home so that people can gather, the Holy Spirit can work through those things. He will work through those things, and I would challenge you to consider that. Um, also, I would ask you that as I teach today, it's going to be a little bit it's more of a lesson, I guess, today than a, a sermon. I would ask you to consider uh, not hanging on so tightly to the things that you've always learned. Um, And and I say that carefully. I, I, I want you to understand I'm not asking you to deny Scripture or throw away Scripture that you've been taught. But I want you to listen to Scripture and hear what it says. And a lot of the things that we have floating around in our minds about who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, it's based on what I like to call folk theology. It's based on things that we were taught by someone, but they never told us why to believe it. They never said, this is where it's found in the Bible. This is the biblical foundation for what you can, why you can believe this thing. And so we get these ideas in our head, and sometimes, whether we intend to or not, we listen to culture, and we let culture speak into that. For example, guardian angels. It's a huge thing in our culture that everybody has a guardian angel watching over them. But I would challenge you that you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. And so if you want to think that you have a guardian angel watching over you, I'm fine with that. I've got no problem with that. But I bet you can't find it in Scripture that says specifically, hey, I'm going to put an angel with you and he's going to guard you. It's nowhere. That's folk theology. And so as we teach today, as we learn today, I would ask that you listen to the words, hear the Scripture. This is not my opinion Although this is a position, the, the thing I'll teach you today is a position I hold uh, and, and I teach from, but hear the Scripture and compare yourself to the Scripture. And if you hear that, that it's something in your, in your view is in opposition to the Scripture, I would challenge you to submit yourself to the Scripture. It's the, it, it has authority, it has weight, it has power. Um, anything else is opinion and philosophy. So let's just pray. Uh, Pray for that. Pray for this time. Uh, Pray for the Holy Spirit to work. And uh, and we'll just move forward. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn from it, that it changes us, that it reconstructs us, that it, it shapes us and molds us, that it prepares us for your work. I thank you, Father, for your spirit. And Holy Spirit, now I would just ask that you would be heavy on us that you would lead us into truth. And that if we have false conceptions or ideas about who you are or what you do, I pray that you'd reveal them to us. I pray, Father, that if there's something that I'm teaching in error, Holy Spirit, correct me. Show me the error. Even if it has to happen right here in front of everyone. I pray that you would fill us that you would strengthen us for your work, and that through today and out of today that we will move forward, submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to your work. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit is God. He has been working out God's plan, His plan, from the very beginning. In Genesis 1... In the very beginning, he was there, hovering over the waters. In Numbers, he was there. Numbers eleven seventeen, he was there, present with the Israelites and in their leadership as God's chosen people. He was there in the Old Testament during the time of the judges, during Samson, Othniel, Gideon, uh, Jephthah. All of these guys, he 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 poured himself out on them and empowered them for his service. At least three times in the book of First Samuel. We read of King Saul, the first king of Israel, being anointed by the Holy Spirit, being, being immersed in, in the Holy Spirit, being covered up by him. Also in First Samuel, we, we learn that King David, the second king of Israel, and God's chosen man as king of Israel, we learn that he, that the Holy Spirit rested on him from the very point of his anointing as a very young boy. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's evident in the Psalms. Psalm 139.7 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can we go? He's evident in the the prophets. Isaiah speaks of the work of the Spirit and the Messiah. He's prevalent in Ezekiel's writings. As, As Ezekiel writes and prophesies the Spirit's work in the New Covenant, Joel picks up that thing. And in fact, that passage from Joel that should be on the screen right now, that passage from Joel is the very passage that Peter used when confronted on the day of Pentecost. We studied this last week. When, when Peter was confronted by people saying that they were drunk, that they were speaking in different languages because they were drunk, Peter stands up and says, No, this is what your prophets say. And then he recites this passage from Joel. This is what the Spirit is going to cause people to do. The Holy Spirit, in in the book of Luke, we see that the Holy Spirit was present at the very moment of Jesus' conception. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit covering Mary that was active in the work of her conception. The Holy Spirit, we see in Matthew 3.16 was present at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. A voice comes forth. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit comes down and rests on Him like a dove. The Holy Spirit of God rests on Jesus Christ. Again, in John 14, 16-17, the Spirit is promised counselor. He is the promised one to come in and continue the work after jesus christ is gone jesus is finishing his work and he's telling his disciples i'm going to be gone you won't be able to go where i'm going but you know what you won't be alone i'm not leaving you alone i'm going to send another one another counselor another comforter in matthew 12 32 blasphemy of the holy spirit speaking against the holy spirit is the one unforgivable sin we can speak against jesus we can speak against the father but speaking against the spirit is the one unforgivable sin recorded in scripture and as we studied over the last couple of weeks in the book of acts the holy spirit is the very power by which jesus's mission has to be carried out not not as a a secondary option not as some, some, well, you know, when we can't carry on, when we can't do it on our own, when we can't figure out a better way, well, then we'll go to the Spirit. We'll ask for the Spirit's help. No, this is it. If the work of Christ is going to be done in the world, it's going to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 You will receive power to be my witnesses. I think we can see from Scripture That the Holy Spirit is not some secondary, some second string, B-team kind of God. He is the presence of God in this world. I think it's imperative that we have some understanding of who He is, of what He does, and how He works. And today, as as we've come to this place in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, where we are confronted with the Holy Spirit falling on these people, and, and baptizing them in His presence and filling them with His power. I think we have to stop and consider this. Paul told the, the, the people at Corinthians, he told them, I want you to understand this. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. And he begins to teach about the, spirit, the, 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 uh, the gifts of the Spirit and spiritual giftings. I want you to be educated in this. I want you to know this. This is imperative. We live in a culture that has many, many views of what the Holy Spirit does and who He is. And we can't take time today to go into an exhaustive study about all of that, but we can look at this passage and we can see, assuming that we understand through the the Scripture that's already presented that, that He's God, He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity, but He is no less God than Jesus Christ the Son, or no less God than God the Father. He takes a submissive role to to Christ, as in He is going to point to Christ. He is going to remind people about Christ. He is going to exalt Christ. He's going to do what Christ has sent Him to do, but He is no less God. And as He comes and lives in our lives, He empowers us. He changes us, and he, he, he enables us to be on this mission. And see, and that's what Scripture has shown throughout. Today, specifically, I want us to deal with the, the baptism and the filling of the Spirit because there's such a wide variety of teaching. There's such a wide, wide view of this. And, and I'm just going to tell you, there's a, there's a lot of good Christians, a lot of good Christians that hold many different views. And if you don't agree with what I teach today, that's fine. As long as you hold an orthodox view, I'm okay with that. But as I said, I'm going to present to you Scripture. And I want you to measure measure yourself in light of that. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. That means if you've got a wrong thought, it's good to set you back on the right course. Measure yourself in light of the Word. So, Let's go ahead and get the verses back in our mind and, and get it back in, our, in front of us, what, what I'm referring to as we spoke about last week, Acts chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 4. It says, When the, Pente- when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Here they are, the followers of Jesus Christ. We learn from chapter 1 that there's about 120 of them in Jerusalem. There's about 120 people gathered, they're hanging out together, they're staying united, they're praying together, they're living life together, and they're waiting for the promise of Christ to be fulfilled. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I just want you to just picture it in your mind. Imagine it happening. This sound so loud. It's like a freight train in the house. Fills the house so loud that it actually drew the people's attention that were outside the house. It fills the house and, and, and it appears as if tongues of fire lick out and, and rest on these people and it, it covers them. And see, and in this passage, Jesus had said, in just a few days, you're going to be baptized by my Holy Spirit. And, and it... This is that time that is happening. This is the fulfillment of that. In Acts 1-5, he says, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so that's what they're waiting for. That's what they're, they're hanging out in Jerusalem for. And here's the fulfillment of that. Here's, here's the Holy Spirit doing what Jesus Christ said he was going to do. And the word baptized is not used there, but, but that's, the, that's the fulfillment of that point. And then it says that it filled them with his power. So we see a baptism, an immersing, a, a covering... And then a filling. And I think that that's two separate works of the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you why. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's understand it. What is it? Does it still happen today? How do I know if I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And the word "baptize" literally means to, to immerse, to, to cover up. Um, let, let's see, I'm, I'm going to forget some of these meanings. To make fully wet or overwhelmed so it, it's it's not something that is is partial it's not like you get a guy's arm wet and he's been baptized maybe his arm has been baptized but he's not been baptized when we use the word obviously it's a, it's a greek word but it's been brought into the english language we don't translate it in scripture and so when we use it we have automatic ideas about what it means because we're so used to speaking about baptism as that ritual that we perform after a person believes and we put them in the water and we take them out. That's what we consider when we talk about baptism. And that's really what they would have considered it as well. The Jews, they knew what baptism was. They were baptizing people who came out of other cultures. They they were baptizing people that came into the Jewish culture. They were called proselytes. And and as they would come in, they would, in a a ritual, performed um, in uh, what's the word I want to use? Indicating a removal of sin and a cleansing, people would be baptized in the Jewish culture. So it wasn't something new to Christianity. It wasn't some, some brand new thing that had never happened before. The, these people in this culture understood what it was about. And that's what we consider when we think of baptism. We think about an immersion. We think about getting wet. We, we, we think about which is exactly what the word means. But we have to understand at some level, we have to understand at some level that when you speak of baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's metaphoric language. I mean, when people are saved and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's bestowed on them, we don't see them walking around just spontaneously, suddenly covered up with water. I mean, imagine that. I've got to go change my clothes, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm just wet. So, so we understand that it's metaphoric. It's not speaking specifically, hey, when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, they're going to get soaking wet. It means that they're immersed, they're covered up, that they're totally overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, surrounded in every way by the Holy Spirit. That, that's the picture. That's what it means. So how do we build our view of what it is? Well, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Uh, this doesn't really tell us. This, this passage from Acts 2 doesn't really tell us. It shows us it happening. But it doesn't really tell us. And so there's seven verses, seven verses, only seven verses in all of Scripture that refer specifically to spirit baptism. And we're going to look at them today. Just real quickly, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark 1, eight John the Baptist again. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, John the Baptist again. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then John one thirty three John the Baptist again. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Four verses, all John the Baptist, different, different points of time. Maybe some of them might have been the, the same exact moment, just recorded by different authors. But John the Baptist referring to his own baptism. I was sent to baptize with water. I was told one was going to come after me. He's greater than I am, and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I knew that it was him when I baptized him. The skies opened up, and that Holy Spirit came down on him. That's when I knew, this is the guy. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then Acts 1.5, Jesus saying to his disciples, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Peter, in Acts 11.16, says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we can learn some things about baptism of the Holy Spirit from these verses. First, it's something that Jesus will do. Who's going to do it? John the Baptist said he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John baptized with water, I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So it's a work of Christ. He does it. He does this work. It's distinct from the water baptism. It's distinct from water baptism that John the Baptist gave. It's distinct from the water baptism that we perform. It, it, it's, those are rituals those are, are traditions they're they're symbols but this is a real work in fact number three would be that this baptism of the holy spirit it's better than john's it's more meaningful than john's it's actually effectual in your life you can take a bath every day of your life you can dunk yourself under the water you can say i'm being baptized as many times as you want And if it's just you dunking yourself under the water, or even a preacher dunking you under the water, the work of that baptism, that physical act is meaningless if it's not preceded by the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is the work that actually changes, that's actually effectual. And we understand that from those passages. Baptism of water was a symbol. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was was effectual. It still leaves a lot to be assumed, though. There's one last verse that I think gives us some understanding of what this is about. First Corinthians 12:13. it says this: "For in one spirit, listen to this, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit." I want you to think about what that's, what, what that's saying. He's writing not to one person. He's writing to a group of people. And, and this letter would have been read in many different places. The, 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 the idea is, is that Paul is teaching that all believers, all believers, are baptized into the body by one Spirit. What's that, what, what, what does that mean for us? That that means as a believer... As one who has come to faith in Christ, it means that you have been baptized in the Spirit. In fact, look at it. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That baptism of the Spirit, that baptism of the Spirit, the moment that the Spirit immersed you in, in, in His presence, the, the, he, he gave you something that you didn't have before. He did a work in you that you didn't know before. You were far off. And He brought you in. You were not a member of the family and He made you a member of the family. You were, were distant and covered with sin and He cleansed you and made you righteous. In His baptism, you're baptized into one body. It's the work that makes you free. It's the work that, that, that before you weren't part of the body, and now you're a one people. Once you weren't a people, now you're one people. Once you weren't a part of the body, and now maybe you're a big toe or a, a, an index finger or whatever, you're a part of the body. You belong because of the baptism of the Spirit. This doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that as those apostles sat there and all of the work that they had done for three years previous and following Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that they were not believers. It doesn't mean that they were not accepted into the family of Christ. You see, what we're seeing happen on the day of Pentecost is a new work. I've read to you passages all through the Old Testament of how the Holy Spirit was working then. I I, I demonstrated to you that, and I would demonstrate to you through the the Scripture that that people were chosen and people were saved before Christ came. You see, the story of Acts is, is the very beginning of the work in light of the gospel it's in light of the gospel everything before christ is in is light shining towards the gospel it's all about what's going to happen it's all about the messiah coming when jesus is on the earth it's all about that time when he was here that work that he was doing while he was here in the flesh on the earth it's all about him him moving towards the cross to die in our place for our sin to raise from the grave and give us hope of life it's all about that And then when he left, he said, now this is what's going to happen. In light of all that I've done, in light of the fact that I've been here, because I've been here, this is how it's going to work now. And the Holy Spirit comes, and He rests on these men, and in that moment, yes, they received the Holy Spirit in a way that they hadn't had Him before. Why is it different for us? Because we live in a time where the Holy Spirit has come. We live in a time where the Holy Spirit has already been here. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, exalting Christ, pointing people to truth, baptizing them, immersing them, and making them new. Let me give you just one other passage, maybe a slightly different perspective to help you maybe see this a little clearer. In John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus is told. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in secret. He's scared of what might happen. He doesn't want anybody to know he's going. And he shows up at Jesus' place and he says, hey, Jesus, hey, this is, we, we know you're a man of God. We know there's something going on. Tell me about it. And Jesus doesn't answer Nicodemus' question. He doesn't directly give him the answer that I think he's looking for. But in John chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, he speaks immediately about being born again. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be spiritually alive. But the way it's phrased, the way He says it, it's not a work that you do on your own. You must be born of the Spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus can't get it. He's like, what? Be born again? How am I going to get my mother's womb? How can a grown man get there? That's a disgusting picture when you begin to think about it, but that's what he thought. He's like, what are you saying to me? Be born again. Jesus was telling him that, hey, Nicodemus, you're alive in the flesh, but you are dead in the Spirit. And everything you do by your flesh just gives way to more flesh you need to be born of the spirit he says you see the point was and i think i can illustrate it in this way we we talk about our salvation in this way well i was saved when i said a prayer some people call it a prayer salvation some people call it a sinner's prayer or i walked an aisle at church i had this great emotional experience and all these emotions overwhelmed me and i just knew that Jesus was Savior and I don't want to take away from your experience if that's part of your experience but I want you to know based on scripture based on what this teaches us is that you can pray those prayers and you can have all the emotions you want you can walk as many aisles as you need to but the hope of life comes through the work of Christ And the very fact that the Spirit comes and gives you new life. He gives you spiritual life. You see, that's regeneration. That's the theological term for it. To be regenerated. To be that which was dead, to be given life. Consider it. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. And that is something that must happen. And when we connect that back to 1 Corinthians 12, we understand That when the Spirit came in, when the Spirit came down and baptized us, immersed us in His presence, we suddenly were able to respond. You, You know why you might have said that sinner's prayer or that prayer of salvation? It wasn't in order to be saved. It was because the Spirit had already made you alive so that you could be saved. You know why you got up and walked an aisle in church? It wasn't in order to be saved. It was because you were already saved. The Spirit had already shown you the truth and already brought you to a place where you believed. You know why you believed? It's not because you were smart enough to figure it out. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. But the things of the cross, spiritual truth is folly to those who are perishing. The Spirit made you able to believe. He gave you that life so that you could believe, and so that you could say a prayer, and so that you could walk an aisle. He baptized you. This is the work of God. Jesus does this work, and it can't be manipulated, and it can't be forced, and it can't be encouraged by us in any way. He baptizes us once and for all. There's three questions that that I I didn't state them clearly when we started, but but what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me just summarize it. The baptism, it's the spiritual work of God that saves you. It gives you spiritual life. It regenerates you. It's that point where you were born again and could respond. When's a person baptized in the Holy Spirit? Is it something that still occurs today? A person is baptized in the Spirit, you recognize it because they can recognize truth. They can see the truth and they can respond to the truth. Does it still happen today? I hope so. I, I hope so because if it doesn't, we are without hope. The Spirit must work and must regenerate. We must be born of the Spirit. We must be baptized into the body of Christ. It doesn't happen by our works, by our own good good deeds and our own good ideas. How can I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died in your place on a cross for your sins and that three days later He rose again giving you the hope of life and that today you sit here trusting in Him for His righteousness and not your own? Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Then that is a work of the Spirit of Christ. You have been baptized and you can know you've been baptized because you can believe the truth. Do you see the evidence of His work in you? The, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you see those things evident in your life? Then if you do, you have been baptized in the Spirit because He's brought you from death into life. He has done this work in you. How do you know? You see the evidence of His work. There's a teaching today, and I I feel like I have to bring this up here. I'm not opposed to tongues. In fact, I believe I'm I'm all for tongues. I I believe that that God can, can use people to speak whatever language He wants them to speak. I have no doubt of that. But there's a teaching that's prevalent today that says if you've never spoken in tongues, then you haven't been baptized in the Spirit and I think in light of what the Scripture has shown, these are the only seven verses in all of Scripture refer specifically to this. And, and not one of them speak about specifically this is the actual result of what happens when you've been baptized in the Spirit. Every other place that people pull from, it's an interpretation. It's, it's it's coming with a presupposition and saying, well, this is what I think and this is what I believe, so that must be what that means. That's the wrong way to approach Scripture. Scripture's the authority. Scripture's the teacher. We're the students. We're the ones that submit to it. We don't call it to submit to us. I think it's biblically, I think it's in biblical error to say that if you haven't spoken in tongues. You haven't been baptized by the Spirit. And let me give you an example why. 1 Corinthians twelve, twenty-nine through 31. Speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking about the Spirit at work in the lives of these Christians, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And obviously the answer is no. The obvious answer is no, not everybody does that. Not everybody's going to lead the church. Not everybody's going to work miracles of healing. Not everybody's going to prophesy great truth from God. And not everyone is going to speak in some tongue that they've never spoken in before. But yet he's speaking to people who have received the Spirit. He's speaking to people who he's encouraging to live by the Spirit's power but not everyone is going to do this. And he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. And he goes into teaching about love and about loving one another as Christ has loved us. See, not everyone's going to do this. And to teach it in any other way, I think, is in error in light of Scripture. I hope that that, that even if you disagree with me on that, that you, I'm not angered you and you ready to run out the door and never come back, I would challenge you, look at the Scripture, see what it says. So we've talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to talk about filling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this won't take quite as much time. It'll be a little bit quicker. It won't be, be so many verses coming, coming at you. But uh, just, just quickly, let's think about it. Baptism, the tongues came down, it covered them up, it rested on them, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. To understand exactly what's happening there and why I think that's two different works. We see the baptism. We see the, the Spirit rest on them. And then it says that it filled them. And that word, when you look up that word in the Greek and translate it into English, that word could as easily be translated influenced. The Spirit influenced them to speak in tongues. It's kind of like, it, it, like being filled with rage because something has made you angry. Maybe you're filled with rage because today at the Super Bowl you're going to watch somebody else's team play. Maybe you're filled with rage because uh, something's happened to someone in your family. Maybe you're filled with rage because, because uh, the, a, a best friend of yours um, killed somebody in a drunk driving accident. It's Something crazy, you know, I don't know, what fills you with rage? Maybe you're filled with compassion because you saw somebody on the way here that's homeless and living out in the cold. Maybe you're filled with compassion because you you think of people who are in need. Maybe you're filled with compassion. The idea is is that you're filled with these things and they influence you. When you're filled with rage, how do you act? Probably not that smart. But you act in accordance with that emotion. When you're filled with compassion and, and... I don't, Susan, uh, I've forgotten her name. She gets on the TV and she makes you feel bad about the starving kids in Africa and they're showing all those pictures and the flies are landing on them. And it's so disgusting and you're filled with compassion. What do you do? You get up and call because you're filled with compassion and you're influenced by that emotion. You see, that's the very word, that's the very sense of the word that's being used here. As these apostles and these followers of Jesus Christ were gathered and the Spirit rested on them and and, and, and immersed them in his presence, they were then filled with his power. They were influenced by his power. They were able to act in accordance and in ways that he had to enable them to act. Because as they began to witness, they didn't just witness by standing up and saying, Jesus is Lord. They said it in all kinds of different languages. They they said it in such a way that everyone there that day, everyone there that day heard the mighty works of God being proclaimed in his own language. So that if an Arab was there, he was hearing it in Arabic. If these people were there from Mesopotamia and all these other places, they were hearing it in their language. The Holy Spirit was working in them, influencing their actions. What is it to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What is it then? Does it still happen today? Can I still count on it? it? Can it still influence me to act? Absolutely. Because He lives in you. He's baptized you. You're His. You belong to God. And He has put His Spirit in you. And He can influence you to act he can influence you to 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 work and to do things in such a way that honor him how do we do that how 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 can i be filled with the holy spirit i long to be filled with his presence and his power how can i do that how can you do that ephesians 5 18 paul again writing He's teaching the Ephesians and he's, and he's working in th- through these things and he's talking to them about their life in Christ. And he says to them, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I want you to understand, this is not a suggestion it's not a, hey, if you feel like it, get filled up with the Spirit. It's not like you can run down to the gas station or run down to some club and get filled up. It's not like you can come in on Sunday morning and, and, and sing the best, best music around and get filled up. We're not a service station. The Spirit lives in you. The Spirit has baptized you. He's baptized me. And we are commanded by Paul here to be filled With the Spirit. You know what that means? You give way to His influence. It's the same exact word used in Acts. He's saying basically the same thing. They were influenced in in Acts chapter 2. They were influenced by the Spirit. Here, He's saying you be influenced by the Spirit. That means that you give up and surrender you give up your own ideas your own views your own desires and you surrender to his life you choose to surrender to him he baptized you god did the work he he brought you in he baptized you by the spirit into the family he did that work and now he's calling you to respond to him and live under his influence You see, in a lot of ways, in a big way, we have control of that. I want you to understand, He's he's God. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. If He wants to come in and, and throw you on the floor and shake you around like a doll, He can do that. But that's not what this teaches us. That's not what this calls us to. This calls us to recognize the authority of the Holy Spirit and to submit ourselves to His influence. And it's out of this influence, it's out of this influence that supernatural, eternally lasting things will and can happen. Why 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 doesn't why doesn't this stuff happen to me then why why aren't I speaking in tongues? why aren't I prophesying truth? why aren't I able to walk over to some guy that can't walk and tell him to get up? Well I don't know. The spirit does what he's going to do through his people. He chooses what gifts to give, he chooses what gifts to bestow. that's what Paul teaches in First Corinthians 12. but I can tell you this for sure. If you're not submitting or surrendering yourself to his influence, you'll never see anything like that happen. If you get up in the morning and you go to work and you couldn't care less about what God has to think on Mondays, and you're there to earn a paycheck for yourself and hey, I've got a big TV I gotta buy, I got a bigger house I need to get, I gotta get this new car because I just really love it. I'm supposed to have all this good stuff in my life, and this is what I want, and this is what I'm living for. That's not the influence of the spirit. You know, if you, if you get up tomorrow morning and you, and you go about your life and all you think about is your family. Hey, it's a noble thing to think about. But if all your decisions are made because of your family and you don't once consider God and what He might have you do in your life, chances are that's not the influence of the Spirit. You know, if you go about your business and you go into this world and you never once utter one good thing about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he saved you and brought you out of death, you know what? That's probably not the influence of the Spirit. If you're too scared to invite a person to church because they might hear the truth, that's not the influence of the Spirit. If you're not willing to support his work by the giving of offerings and tithes and offerings, that's not the influence of the Spirit. You see, you're going to see supernatural things happen when you put yourself in a place where supernatural things have to happen. If you can live on your own means and by your own power, you're going to do it, right? There's people that are lost in darkness that do it every day. You want to experience the influence and filling of the Holy Spirit? Take a step of faith. Give when you're not sure where it's coming from. Invite someone to church with you. Tell someone about Jesus Christ and His good works. Live. In such a way, when you go to work, when you go into a restaurant, when you go into uh, to the grocery store, when you're, when you're sitting in your office, when you're driving in your car, live with this mindset that you are on mission for Christ. And the only way it will be done, the only way it can happen is if, he is, if His power is in you and working through you. You see, that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. You want to see supernatural things happen live in such a way that supernatural things have to happen. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul calls us to submit ourselves to, be filled with the Spirit. And, and you know what? Maybe. Maybe Pentecost won't happen again. It doesn't necessarily need to happen again. Maybe you won't be with a group of Christians that stands up in front of 3,000 people and start prophesying and, and speaking truth about God in all these different languages. But as you surrender to his influence, I can guarantee this, that he'll work and big things will happen. Your life will be changed and the lives of people he uses you to influence will be changed forever for the good. Baptism of the Spirit is the work that God does. Let's summarize these. It's the work that, summarize, or, or, or that God does it's the part of, of the Holy Spirit's work that brings us into salvation. It's the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. God decreed salvation. He said, this is the way I'm going to save people. The Holy, or, or Jesus Christ came. He was the sent one. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for our sins in our place. He rose again. That paid the price for our sin. He rose again, giving us the hope of eternal life. And the Spirit baptizes us and brings us into the family. Oh, it's a one-time deal. It's a one-time shot. Upon being saved, a response is called for. This is this is di- d- depicted or pictured in our service every week. Every week we come to this place where we've listened to the scripture, we've we've listened to teaching, and you're called to respond. That's the same thing. You see it all the way through scripture, over and over and over and over. God works. We respond. God works. We respond. God works, we respond. And that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to consider how you might be quenching Him. Paul refers to this in Ephesians 4.30, not really quenching, but grieving the Spirit. How might you be grieving Him, not not submitting to His influence and, and, and being filled by Him? Have you believed are you baptized in the Spirit? How is He influencing in your life? How do you see Him working in you and working through you? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your decision to save. Thank You for for making a way for us, for choosing to save us. I thank You, Jesus Christ, for, for coming and paying that awful price that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And Holy Spirit, I thank You for, for coming and, and, and showing us the truth and, and giving us life, real spiritual life, for bringing us into this family. I pray. Pray, God, in all your fullness that you would fill us, that you would cover us now and cause us to consider you. Cause us to see those things that we place in front of you every day that keep us from living a life that honors you and glorifies you and that's influenced by your work through your Spirit. Move on us. Shape us and mold us. Correct us. Rebuke us. Prepare us for Your good work. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.